Bravo. Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about software sustainability for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? It is way too hot in the summer. I can't deal. Hello. Very happy to have us all on the podcast today, especially our guests. Before we introduce our guests, I want to make sure that you know who the other strange voices you may hear in your car or while you're running or in the shower, wherever you listen to this podcast. Justin Dorfman calling in from LA. Justin, how are you? I'm great, Richard. How are you? Bit caffeinated. Ben Nichols, how are you doing? Not too bad. Just had some lunch. So yeah, getting ready for it. Very exciting. I'm, of course, Richard Litauer. And our guest today is Bolaji Ayodeji. Bolaji, it is so good to have you on. Bolaji is a developer advocate at Commerce Layer. He's calling in from Nigeria. That was a Yoruba, welcome at the beginning. I hope I pronounced it right, but I am not a fluent speaker. Balaji, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for coming on. So Balaji, you've been a member of the sustained community for a while. You not only have done all sorts of stuff with OSCA, that's Open Source Community Africa in Nigeria, but you also have been to the Sustain conference in Europe. You were at the last one in Brussels back in 2020, right before the end of time where it was great to see you. Well, let's start at the beginning. How did you get into open source? Well, I think that's like a couple of years ago. It was through the open source community, Africa. At that time, it was like the early stages of my career. I was a web engineer and I didn't know what it was, but I saw then something who got started with the open source community, Africa, and they were trying to get contributors to join the community. And being at the early stage, I was open to doing so many things. So I was like, oh, let's try this out. So just jumping on and then joining the community and then just seeing how it works. That's pretty much the introduction to understanding how it actually worked before I began contributing to several projects in the Oscar community and outside. So I think that was pretty much it. My first real contribution was just, there's this bot in on the then websites that we had. And I was a fan of having like those curved border radiuses. So I just like, I did it into that particular part in uh, Awesome. So it sounds like you were already doing stuff in computer programming at the time. Did you go to yeah. university for programming? Did you have a job already? I was actually in the university. I mean, I'm currently in the university. That's a fun fact. Then I wasn't learning that to the university. It was like self-taught. Cool. Yeah. So when you started contributing to Oscar, I'm actually really curious about the process of contributing through Oscar, because I know it's a bunch of people who are interested in open source. Are there set yeah. projects that you tend to work on together? Was there an easy on-ramp for you? How did you end up being part of this community? And what was your experience of joining them? So initially, the open source community, Africa, was kind of like trying to gather people. And open source is like something that isn't prominent in Africa specifically. So it was more of trying to introduce the concept and how it works to people. So when I joined, all they had then was just education, trying to ensure that people understand how it works and connect them to working in open source in different capacities. So they did have projects then, but they were only like maybe some minor projects related to, you know, web and, and all of that. So they weren't really maybe large scale projects or community projects and all of that. So it was cool. through the education system they had, I got to understand how it works and also get connected to other projects that are outside the Oscar community. So Oscar is really great, not just because of the vibrant community and the work they do to get people involved and to learn about how cool open source is and lifting other people up in Nigeria, which is amazing. 
but they also tend to have yearly conferences. So they've had a few of these so far. We've had people come down from Sustain there and we've had people there who just run their own Sustain stuff, which is great. And I really want to hear about how that works. And in particular, this last one. So you had a recent open source Community Africa event where there was a giant sustained track that I think ran even all day. Can you talk about how that happened and what happened there? Yeah, so just the premise. So the first festival was like just after the sustained summit we had in Brussels in 2020. So plans for that was in progress before sustained. And the idea was just to, we've been doing other stuff locally in different communities and all. The idea was to bring everyone together in Nigeria and other neighboring African countries to celebrate open source. You know, like I mentioned, at the early stages of open source community Africa, they were just you know, mine internal projects. But then the communities outside Oscars and organizations, there were tons of projects from different individuals and organizations. And through that, Oscar connects members of the community to external projects, both in Africa and outside. So the idea was to bring everyone together, celebrate this project, celebrates what open source is and what it means in Africa and all of that. And, you know, that went in the first festival in 2020. And following up from the sustained summit we had, we also decided to try out having something similar. Pretty much the same thing, but then focused on the African ecosystem and how open source works and how to sustain all of that in Africa. And that went pretty well in 2020. And then, like you mentioned, you know, COVID hits and it was like a slow progress for like, I think, one, two years until last year. So last year, we didn't hold the festival, but we did have a sustained event last year just to ensure that we are able to keep up with the community. That was in November, I think, yeah, November last year. And November last year's sustained was pretty much a mirror of the first one. We did the same tracks and same thing. We had six working groups. And we tried to split the conversations across those groups. And this year, we had the second festival, and then we also had the sustained events. So the festival was like a three-day event, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So the first day, we had workshops in the morning with some virtual talks. And then in the afternoon, evening, we had sustained, which is, I mean, interesting part we would want to talk about right now. And the idea pretty much around sustainable, we try to have discussions where we can talk about open source itself, the projects and the people working behind those things and how we can keep it running, how can we sustain it in right now and also in the coming years. And that's pretty much the baseline. And we had six working groups. We had the open source documentation, design, data science, marketing and funding and specialized projects. So we had facilitators who handled each of those working groups and we had different members of the communities who are active contributors or maintainers. And, you know, we just had those conversations where we spoke about different pain points that each of them experienced as contributors and as maintainers and problems that they see in the ecosystem and possible ideas on how we can fix those things. And it was all pretty much just discussions and documenting those discussions so we can understand the way forward because the idea is it's a different ecosystem when it comes to in Africa. When we say sustain for the entire world, that's like a global set. You know, when it comes to a continent, it becomes different because there might be some just small differences probably in, in terms of legality and 
culture and some other things around that. So the ideas we have might be different from the global view around how these things work, especially when it comes to the people behind the project. So that was pretty much it. And it was really, really, really very insightful fun conversation. And we got like really nice outputs. I think the last one happens to be the best in terms of output so far because we got really, really useful feedback. That's awesome. I know that you released a report of that event. And yeah, we'll have yeah. a link to that in the show notes. And we're also interviewing a lot of the people who you collaborated with to write that report. So Anita Human, Chakuka, I'm really excited. We're going to have them both on this podcast and future episodes, as well as on the Sustain Open Source Design podcast for Chakuka. So I just want to say thank you for structuring it in a way that there was output, because it was really cool to feel like I could see what was being talked about there without having had to be there. So yeah. awesome work. Thank you. I'm kind of interested now that you've had two, kind of three events, how the conversation is evolving. Do you feel that you are kind of getting beyond some introductory topics and trying to get into creating some change in the communities? And how is that kind of process kind of happening for you? Is that something that's like natural or is it something that you're intentionally kind of moving on so that each event kind of has a different kind of feel to it and maybe kind of has a progression? So there's been a lot of evolution since the first one, most especially in terms of the outputs we received from the first events, the first summits we had. We couldn't really gather the outputs. They were mainly just in-out discussions and then we didn't have so much to share, which was like a huge setback for us. And we learned from that and tried to improve the processes moving forward. And just like you mentioned, the conversation doesn't end at the summits. We take the outputs and we expect that you can implement that as an individual in your own organization and in other respective communities. So for an example, this year we had open source documentation, design, data science, marketing and funding, open source programs, which is like mainly open source of code, outreach, and the others. And then we introduced burnout and mental health. And the idea was to not just focus on the project itself, but then begin to also talk around the people behind those projects and the challenges they face as individuals when they maintain and contribute to open source. So the outputs of those particular discussions, like I implemented directly in those individuals who were present at the summit and also individuals who read the reports when we share those outputs. And we also introduce a new aspect to the working groups, which is the open source data science. We realized that data science and, you know, other data engineering activities, I wouldn't say it's like fast rising because it's been rising for like years now, but there's been less focus around that aspect. When we talk about open source, it's more like the core software engineering and the popular stuff that we know. So we try to segment that aspect because data science is kind of like a very Different, it's different from the core software giant and there are different requirements and different kind of projects. So the discussions around there were kind of like different. And the observation we realized was that there were like a small subset of people who were in that working group because pretty much because people were not aware of like open source and data science field. And that's the cue that we took from there. And some of the members of those working group and facilitators took it upon themselves that moving forward is going to be a unique community for the data science, open source contributors and maintainers in, in Africa. And that also led to the movements for the festival that they are also having for data engineering. So they call it Data First Africa. 
So basically, they're trying to take the conversations we've had and put it into their own conference and see how they can talk about all the data adjacent fields, you know, open source and everything data related. So that's like one major output in terms of the data fields. And some of those other things that we discussed in each of the other individual working groups, we try to encourage participants to implement those things in their organizations and their respective projects. Why we as a community, you know, we gather these outputs and then we figure out some other major next steps in terms of initiatives, activities, or programs that we can create out of this things to make sure things move forward. That's awesome. What I noticed while browsing your blog is you have some tutorials around data science, like set up our studio for data visualization. Are you giving any talks about data visualization? I think just for some context, like we never really had that many data scientists on, if my memory serves me correct. And I think this day and age, with all the data that we have, it's an abundance. I think it's more important than ever, especially in the sustained community, to have some data that we can show the community of how underfunded the community is. And are there any organizations that you're working with that you can then take their data and kind of visualize it to the community? I just think that we need more data to show. And since you are a great writer and you are also very experienced in our studio, I just thought maybe putting those two together can help bring more awareness to the underfunded ecosystem that we currently have. Yeah, that's actually an interesting idea. I haven't personally thought about that. Data science and engineering is kind of like not my core. It's more like secondary for me. So I just play around it once in a while. But I think it's an interesting idea because like I just mentioned, there's like very, very low awareness in, in that aspect. And we actually do have a lot of professionals in that field who you know, just go around doing their day-to-day jobs and working with data for businesses. But then we can you know, use the skill sets and their ideas in working around open source communities. So I think it's something that we can consider and I can also consider as an individual. Yeah, like I don't know if GitHub gives data about their sponsorships yeah. program. But does Open Collective have endpoints that can be used? All these, I think, would be very valuable and just maybe even an eye-opener to other companies that rely on the digital infrastructure and really don't give that much back. Yeah, that's true. I actually agree. I actually have a question that's kind of related to that. You mentioned earlier that there's communities that work with OSCA. There's other companies that are there. As someone who's not on the ground, I don't have a great insight into what open source looks like day to day in Nigeria or in Africa at large. And I know those are two very different things. So you don't have to answer what open source looks like in Africa. But I'm really curious whether there's funding going to community members in OSCA. For the average person there, do they join because they're looking for work and are they able to find work? Or are there companies which are giving back to various open source projects which they profit from? I know there's things like Sugar Labs, which have some sort of open source as part of their actual process of being a company. But I'm curious about the other communities and companies that are part of OSCA, but not necessarily OSCA itself. Yeah, so I think I'll just split that into two categories. First of all, I'd 
Oscar, we run the community in several aspects. In the general global community, we have a Discord server where everyone communicates and do all kind of stuff. We also run a chapters program, which is a way to decentralize the process of the community in different cities across Africa. Currently, we have about 56 chapters in different countries in Africa. And the idea is we have individuals in those cities who do the same job we do at the top level, but then based on the local needs of their community, which, you know, can cover education, projects and mentorship and all the other things you've mentioned in terms of connecting them to the open source ecosystem. So that's one aspect. And then in terms of organizations and individuals, I mean, yeah, we have some African organizations and in Nigeria specifically who embrace open source. First, they personally have some open source projects that they make public for the community to use and contribute to. I'm not so aware of a couple of African companies who contribute, probably in terms of funding, to projects individual-based. But then there are several individuals and other external communities and companies who support individual projects that are being built by people in Africa. I know it's a kind of a problem because, first of all, stuff like the GitHub Sponsors Program doesn't work in Nigeria and many of the African countries. And it's a problem because I, I know recently GitHub did this stuff where they sponsored a couple of projects as an organization and went across different maintainers. Stuff like that can be beneficial to some of the maintainers we have over here, but we don't even have access to that stuff. So most of the support we have comes directly into open source community Africa. Let's say we want to host the festival. We have other companies who support. And through that funding, we demystify those funds into the festival, chapters program, the community programs, and all the other initiatives that we run. So aside from that, everything just ends up being on other individuals. Like myself personally, I do support some of those projects and some other individuals like that also support some projects. Yeah, that's cool to hear that there are individuals supporting open source. I'm curious, can you give me a sense of how large was Oscar the last one? How many people came? I might not be able to give you the acronym. We need to check. To 100, 1,000, 10,000? Yeah, it's just up to 1,000. It up wasn't up to 10,000, but it's just up to 1,000, yeah. So that's a lot of people. That's a yeah, I mean, that. that's one of the largest conferences you have in Nigeria and Africa and the Texas. So do you know whether the majority of, just from a ballpark view, this is, I'm not asking for like hard data on this one, but are the majority of the attendees working on open source as part of their jobs or in addition to their jobs? Do you think that they're hobbyists who want to get into open source? A small percentage of them work on open source as part of their jobs. A larger percentage of them kind of like work on open source personally. So more like they probably do not have like day-to-day, you know, it's the five jobs, but then it's like a culture, their own personal projects and their own way of improving their career so they can also get that nine to five and all of that. So it's a combination of each of this. That's really different than some of the conferences here. I mean, there was just last week in Austin, there was Linux Foundation OspoCon, where I guarantee you that the majority of the people there were being paid to be there and work on open source. Yeah, it's not the only type of open source conference. It's just like, it's interesting to see the differences there. So I wanted to just take a step back and talking about the number of people who are participating in Oscar's kind of open source festival and generally a part of that community. I know that kind of payments, especially in countries like Nigeria, are quite difficult. So I was just wondering 
in your own personal view, what do you think we should be doing to ensure that the kind of next generation of open source contributors and developers from African nations are incentivized and able to join in that community and to contribute? Is it more important that we have more events like Oscar? Is it more important if we try to provide access to financial support for projects? How do you feel about that kind of balance? Is there one, is there other, or do you think it's a combination? Well, I think at this point, we need less of the events. The events are more like annual stuff, it's, which is already nice in itself. It's more like, hey, after anything, we come and we do this. And then also the chapters who run local stuff do their stuff like hotelly and all of that. So I think that's kind of like sustainable. And at this point, we can say that quite a number of people already have an idea of, you know, how this thing works and how to get all the advantages that come with open source. So it's more of now, how do we get those who already know how it works, who are already doing something in that aspect? How can we help them to scale? This covers both funding and access to resources. And this resources is probably really easy because it, it can be a lot of things. For example, the GitHub Readme project is kind of like a way that kind of like exposes, it gives more outreach or awareness to some certain kind of projects. And they've done that for quite some African open source maintainers, which is really good because it showcases the work they are doing to the entire world. So stuff like that is also part of the resources we're talking about alongside funding. And I think Open Collective is, I think that's the only sustainable or the why use the word working option we've had so far in African space where you are able to connect to funding from external contributors and it's kind of like a slow process because obviously there's like some barriers in between, but then this process can be expedited. We can have maybe something much more faster, or we can also have access to the GitHub sponsors program. And some of just the funding programs we have are kind of like nice and all, but then we don't have like direct access to most of them. And it's now more like for you to have a collective, for example, it needs to be like a big project. It needs to be like a solid project for you to even get noticed by people who want to fund that um, project. So meanwhile, we have individuals who are kind of like doing stuff personally that are also useful in the ecosystem that would also benefit from this kind of incentives and support. So we need a way to ensure that it carries along both individuals, corporate organizations, and do I say individuals who work as groups? Going a bit even further back, I'm looking at the stats for Nigeria as a country, right? So it's a middle income mixed economy and emerging market, 27th largest economy in the world, 24th largest in terms of purchasing power parity, whatever that means. Largest economy in Africa, which is one of the reasons why when I think of open source in Africa, I often think of my friends in Nigeria who are doing awesome work there. Have you had a lot of buy-in about open source from other countries in Africa who have come to USCA? Do you think that because Nigeria is this powerhouse that's kind of it stars in the ascendant in terms of its economy is booming and there's more of a tech center there and there's more VC investment and all those things. Do you think that open source is blossoming for a particular reason in Nigeria? And how are you spreading that out to places like Ghana or other countries in the area? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much mentioned it. the ecosystem is large giant Nigeria, kind of like Europe's share. But then we've over the years tried to make sure that it spreads across other countries. For example, you mentioned Ghana, there's Ghana, there's Nairobi, there's 
Mauritius, there's Ethiopia, quite a number of African countries kind of like are also great in this aspect. The only difference is that Nigeria, it's more like into the deep roots, almost every city in the country. Meanwhile, in some of those other countries, they're just specific cities. And that's the idea behind the chapters program, because we as individuals in Nigeria, we started the program, we can't be in every country. So we need to find those individuals who could run those programs for us and help sure that the same way it spreads deep roots in Nigeria, we can have the same thing in other countries. So for now, we have the first, we are running the program in batches just so we can ensure that everything works fine. And we have like 60 chapter leads and 56 chapters. So in the next coming year, we will also, you know, run a second batch of the program and we encourage other contributors in those respective countries to reach out to join these programs so they can also help us do the same thing we are doing. I love the chapter approach. I'm curious, open source is often seen or can be seen as an ecosystem which large companies and corporations benefit from. And so a lot of people give to open source and then large companies use that and then go forth and make awesome products and enter the Fortune 500. A lot of, I don't even know how to phrase this question. I'm trying to figure it out. I also feel super just like nervous about it because I'm a white dude from a developed country, which doesn't make me feel great because I'm part of the problem. But I want to figure out how do we decolonialize open source in Africa? Is there anything that large companies can do in developed nations, in nations that are typically Western and rich to help out the open source community there. And do you see any corollaries between open source in Africa and the tech sector in Africa in general? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I'm sorry that this is more cogent. I'm working on it. So what I've observed over time is the kind of projects in terms of open source that come out from the African ecosystem are more like Projects that help developers to serve them were like DevTools, packages, and all that stuff that just make development easier. And in turn, that helps the developers themselves to you know, build better products, also for Africans and globally. So in terms of your question, right, it's pretty much aligned with all we've been discussing so far. There are some benefits of open source and there are some certain kind of supports that open source generally receives, right? So we need the same thing in Africa just so it can ensure that everything is sustainable. And that cuts across this funding and access to opportunities. So the same thing that people in the Western world have access to, Africans also working in open source should also be able to have access to those kind of things without bias and easier. Because I think the problem right now is that some of those things we have access to them, but it's not an easy process. And that's because of a lot of things. Like, for example, I mentioned with, with the collective, a lot of things work underneath that makes the process harder, which you wouldn't directly blame on the collective itself. So we need a way to ensure that the access to those opportunities is like much easier than it is currently. That is a much better answer than the question was phrased. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. Well, I think I want to take a step to the side and sort of focus on some of the people who've written in their report. What were you most excited about in this last sustain meeting? And what like one thing did you learn that you want to like highlight today? Was there anything that was really cool that you feel like this is new? I think the very much new thing was in the, the mental health and burnouts section we had. I think that's kind of like a field where, well, I wouldn't say it's an African thing. It's, it's more global, but we mostly don't talk about this kind of things in, in Africa. Just do your normal work you contribute to open source for the numerous reasons you might have. You just do your stuff 
an issue by chance happened to be a maintainer. You just keep doing your stuff, just doing your stuff. And then no one knows what's going on. So that session was kind of like really insightful on covering. It's like more individual, which is why I like it because the sustaining of open source starts on the individuals because they are the one who, you know, power everything. If there's nobody, then there's no open source pretty much. So I really like the session. And I think that the second highlight for me was the data science one I talked about. Just had like, I think, Maybe five to six people in that group, other more people in the other working groups. And the idea that we were able to realize that this is something that is like less compared to other working groups. And even the members of that group realized themselves and were like, oh, we need to fix this. They knew that there are more people, more professionals in their field, but then they don't even really know how you know, all these things work in the open source field. I mean, pretty much all of them maybe even use several process packages. They use NumPy, they use Pandas and all of that stuff, but they don't even know how contributing to it works because it's not like a traditional software engineering that they used to. So the idea that they were able to find that queue and then decide that, oh, we need to fix this. And it, the, the fixing starts from their own mindset and then really to the initiatives that they decided to create on their own. It was really, really cool. I love that. That is awesome. Burnout is a global thing. And so it's really cool that you're talking about that in Africa as well. As someone who has burned out multiple times in my career, super important to recognize how it affects you and how to recover. So that's really awesome. Another tangent question. Nigeria is part of this region, which is super cool because it has all these languages, right? It's a huge linguistically diverse area. And I really want to know, when we talk about documentation in OSCA, do you tend to, as a community, always talk in English or are there small subgroups which are opening up, which speak in languages, which are also spoken by participants in open source? And if so, is there anything that people can do in the Western world to make it easier or in the Anglo foreign world, even to make it easier for people to engage with open source using their native language? So first, Nigeria, the national language is English technically. So majority of people speak and understand English to some extent, but then that's the problem that we're beginning to not say. I think I saw someone here talking about this things last week where there are some native speakers who probably cannot understand English as fluently as other people would. And the way it works, everything in software is pretty much English, even in terms of terminologies and all those stuff. So sometimes it's even hard to understand what one particular term would mean in using one particular part of software. Well, I wouldn't say that there is so much problem yet in that aspect, but it's something we should begin to consider. The fact that almost everyone speaks English doesn't mean that every single person also speaks and understands English in this aspect. The people who would love to get the same benefits we get from open source, but then there's like a language barrier. And in terms of documentation, you know, it's very much just English. From my experience, everything is just English. We're just beginning to have some diversity around that where we're having people who focus on some particular dialects. I mean, I think I've seen for Yoruba, I've seen for Aosa and Igbo. Those are the three. That's one of the three major languages in Nigeria anyway. And those are the ones that I've seen those kind of translations come in that aspect. So I think the problem around this would actually be solved from individuals in those different dialects. I mean, for myself, I speak Yoruba, so I wouldn't know the challenges that someone speaking another native language you have. But then if you happen to be in that ecosystem, which is the idea around this thing being solving problems in your local community, it's we at the top, we are kind of like bringing everyone together and doing our best to show you the right path. But then you in your own local community, you know your problem. And we always see that communities are built to share struggles 
the shared struggle we see is the national one and the shared struggle you would see would be in a local community. So we encourage people to find those kind of things and then solve them. And for other African countries, we have some African countries that are French speaking and some other native languages. So it's diverse in each of these countries. So I think that the baseline is that every local community, every local city in these countries will have their own respective language barriers. I think those exist. And in terms of saying, how can the external communities help the Western? How do you help? Well, it's pretty much unclear for me personally, because I can't even tell you how to help because I haven't even thought deeply to understand how the problem works and what kind of help I would need. Because all I'm saying currently is just the solution even coming from within. We actually, because you really can't solve that barrier problem or help in terms of traffic because you don't even know anything about it. So it's more like a problem that those inside would need to solve. But then I think the only thing would be in terms of what is coming from the global world to be aware that there would be language barriers in different capacities. So it's more like saying there should be a way to accommodate those kind of things. So it's not like you're building a brick and mortar software or a brick and mortar initiative or something. In a way, just keep in mind that there's going to be a need to make this thing accessible, make this thing diverse. So whatever kind of introduction will come into that system, there should be that entry point to make it easier to add those things. So I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. And that makes sense from what I've experienced as well. I mean, I lived in Montreal for two years and it was super cool to go to meetups where some people would just go up and just stand in front and just start speaking French and everyone else who was Anglophone would just have to deal with it. And the Francophones would be like, great. And then someone who's come and speak English and everyone would deal with it. And I'm not saying that Montreal has a healthy language situation because Quebecois and Anglo-like relations are not always great, but it was really interesting to be like, that's how it is. At the same time, what happens in Montreal is because it's a economy that is pretty cheap to live in based on financial policies for the last 20 years, really good developers would join an open source, get involved, and then get hired, and then all move to Redmond and move to Seattle and move to San Francisco. And so we had this brain drain growing on. It was something to be aware of. Oh, okay. So language is the barrier and who's more likely to go and get a job somewhere else and be able to fund themselves? Anglophones. And so knowing about that is important, right? It's good to just be aware of it and say, okay, there's a barrier, but how can we lift other people up? So thank you for your opinions. I think they're on track with, with how I considered that. And I really appreciate that. Balaji, this has been really awesome to have you on. It's been great to have this full episode to talk about sustain in Africa. Thank you for letting me talk about languages for a while, even though that's not the main topic. I'm just always interested. I would like to wrap up because we're running out of time. Before we get to our best part of the show, Spotlight, where we talk about totally other random things, I want to ask, where can people follow you on the internet and where can they get involved with Oscar and Sustain Oscar? You can reach out to me anywhere at I am Bolaji, I, or, or you just go to my website, bolaji.com to find all the other relevant links. And to you know, join the Oscar community, you can go to our website, oscafrica.org, and you find all the relevant links to join the Discord server and you know, all the social medias. And that's pretty much it. When you join the server, we have specific channels for different initiatives, including Sustain Africa and all of that. Awesome. And for your listeners who weren't clear, his Twitter handle is I am Bolaji. A-Y-O. Not just Balaji A-Y-O, but I am Balaji A-Y-O. So go ahead and follow Balaji there. Thank you so much, Balaji. Now it's the time of the show where we get to spotlight. We get to talk about projects, people, things which have helped us out in our careers or in our lives and we think just need a little more light shed on them. Justin Dorfman, what is your spotlight today? 
since I've shared every single link on the internet with this show, I'm going to go with my newsletter again. It's blowing up. Not really, but you know, the non-code contributor newsletter where we highlight the contributors you've never heard of. Last person we had on was Stefano Muffoli, the executive director at the OSI, the Open Source Initiative. Just go to twitter.com slash jdorfman. Thank you so much, Justin. Ben, what is your spotlight today? I'm going to continue the trends. We spoke a little bit about data science and we're talking about non-code contributions. So I happened this morning to just read a little piece by, I think it's Abdul Samod Aziz about contributing to open source as a data scientist. And there's a link in there to a list of popular open source data science projects that you can contribute to today by Aiden Halsman. So I'm cheating. That's two, but those are mine. Awesome. Thank you so much. My spotlight today is Heather Piwawar. Heather Piwawar is a PhD largely in the data science community. Heather was one of the first people who got me interested in public participation in science, community science, which eventually led to me being obsessed with eBird and all of its incarnations. And I just, I love that there are people out there trying to figure out how do we have better science in the world? How do we cite people better? How do we have better metrics for researchers working on things like code? So Heather, thank you so much for your work. Bolaji, what is your spotlight today? So mine is a TypeScript auto-translator project created by Matt. Working with TypeScript can be kind of like overwhelming. And if you're a beginner and intermediate, you run into several errors that, you know, written in gibberish, you don't know what it means. That the project pretty much takes an error and then we write it in much more simpler English and you can understand what it said. And there's a VS Code extension for it and also the web part of it. So it's a really, really nice project and thumbs up to Matt. Awesome. Balaji, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really great to hear from you. I really hope that Sustain, Oscar, and Oscar continue to go forth and multiply and do awesome, awesome things in the world. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please rate us on Apple and rate us on Spotify or wherever podcasts are shown. You can, of course, download this podcast anywhere that is like available as podcasts. If it's not available on your favorite platform, please let me know. You can let me know at podcast at sustainoss.org. You can also have any comments. We are interested. We want to hear. If you think that there's something that we missed here, please email podcast at the sustainsocess.org. That goes to all of the organizers as well. We would appreciate it if you would join in our discourse. Discourse.sustainsocess.org is a great place to talk about sustaining stuff in the future. So feel free to go ahead and talk with us there. Download other podcasts. If you have guests you feel like should be on the show, if you should be on the show, please do get in touch. And thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Marks.